Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. The book that we're going to be talking about tonight is Bomb by Les Edgerton. And here's a little bit about Les. Uh, he is a novelist and author of Finding Your Voice. His short fiction has appeared in Best American Mystery Stories 2001, Kansas Quarterly, Arkansas Review, North Atlantic Review, Chiron Review, and mm-hmm. many others. Livius, do you think that there's any anything missing? Anything missing from this bio? He wrote The Rapist, which we really liked a lot. Yeah, and he wrote, uh, hang on, I got it on my bookshelf, I just don't remember the name. Just Like That, that's another one. I haven't read it yet, but uh, man, I don't know why it's not showing up on that bio. Well, okay, I, I can't quite do your 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 justification, like, just, <laughs> <laughs> because Chiron Review, I think it's how you sounded when you said it, apparently is more important than that. <laughs> Well, I don't know. It's one of those words. Anyway. Like, like we're, we're terrible, right? So, like, I'm sure Kansas Quarterly and, like, the North Atlantic Review are probably, like, big deals. But we don't we, we don't play in those realms. So right. maybe that's, you know, maybe it's like saying, like, yeah, I wrote a short story that was in Playboy. Like, we'd understand <laughs> that, right? We'd be like, oh, yeah, that's kind of a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. So Could be. I mean, like, they sound very prestigious. Let's just put it that way. They do. Um, should we kind of fully disclose that the, the 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 thing about the thing about the dedication in this book before we go on to talk about the book? Um. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm in a, I'm in a disclosing mood. <laughs> okay. So, um, to be fair, I would like to mention first of all, Les Edgerton might be a genius because you want you want someone to read your book, just dedicate it to them, and it's going to happen, right? So. <laughs> <laughs> um, aspiring authors, if you just name like 14,000 people in the dedication, chances are you're going to get some readership out of that. Um, so uh, thank you, Les, who in his dedication included literary show hosts and hostesses like Rob and myself. So thank you. It's very, very nice to see that in the book and to be appreciated for what we do, I guess, if that makes sense. So we've been thanked in other things as like people and like we've helped people out and, you know, we've done some, I don't know, first draft readings for people and stuff like that and blurbed some things and, you know, and we get thanked for that. But this is so thanks for what we do for, for our love of this podcast and our love of reviewing books. So um, thank you, Les. That was pretty wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. He's a good dude. Like uh, very generous, very generous, like probably more generous than he really should be at times with like trying to get you books and stuff like that. And just like the sweetest dude in the world, but like in a tough way. Yeah. I was going to, I was going to say, let's, <laughs> let's, let's not make him out to be a teddy bear. We're going to talk about this crime book here in a second. <laughs> here is a little bit about bomb. When criminal genius, Charles reader Kincaid accidentally alerts a retired cop to the impending commission of the perfect crime, the crime becomes a lot less perfect. The plan is to wire a prominent banker with a remote control bomb and thereby capture untold millions from a dangerous drug czar. Or is the plan something else? The plot thickens as hidden family connections come to light and who is betraying who and why becomes a matter of life and death for perpetrators and victims alike. With wry wit and first-hand knowledge of the underworld, author Les Edgerton unleashes a cast of quirky characters and dark ambitions that collide in a tale nothing short of explosive. Bomb, right? Explosive Bombs bomb. are, yeah, those are yeah, pretty explosive. Yeah. Yeah. Like it. Um, let's let's start by talking a little bit. So th- this is actually really important to the story. Um, there is a foreword by Les that details the story of this book's publishing um, history, so to speak. So 
it goes back into the 90s and how it had been picked up by a big five publisher and how that ultimately fell through. And this book has been sitting shelved basically for 22 years, I think, if I'm not mistaken, something like that. Is that how long ago the 90s were? Well, yeah, wasn't it? Uh, right? We were just talking about my 20th reunion, so yeah. Yeah, yeah. so um, I believe it was 1994 is when yeah. kind of all this was going down. So yeah, 22, yeah. 23 years. Um, that being said, Rob made an interesting observation about this. Uh, and, and maybe we'll talk about it a little later. So it's kind of a period piece. <laughs> but um, an authentic one because it was written... In the period, kind of, but published after the period. Right. So let's let's shelve that conversation for yeah. a little bit, because I think that's really important to this book. Yeah. So I think we're faced again with, like, so typically the format of our reviews is we explain what happens in the story up to a certain point, and this is one of those situations where the synopsis was so damn effective that I don't know if we really have to, like, cover a lot of... I mean, I'm sure we'll get into some of the details, but, like the synopsis really just nailed the shit out of it. Right. Yeah. So I hadn't read the synopsis because um, I didn't need to, to, to kind of want to read this book, um, <laughs> which the synopsis <laughs> takes a little bit of the punch out of some of the things I was going to say, because it does really twist around. So yeah, we're basically faced with um, a story that sounds very familiar because there was kind of a movie made, right? I don't remember what it was, but there was a there was a, a real life thing that happened where somebody had strapped a bomb to like a pizza boy or something. Is that is that correct? Yeah. Yep. And then they made a movie out of it, but the movie was a comedy or something weird, right? Am I, yeah, it's like asking? thirty minutes or less or something like that. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, one of the important things that he talks about in in part of the forward isn't just the the perils that this book you know kind of went through to finally get into our hands. But I think it kind of establishes that, listen, I wrote this story before it actually happened. Because if you didn't have that, you'd be like, oh, he's kind of playing off that thing that happened from that 30 minutes or less, right? Right, yep. So it's important to say that this was uh, original at, at the time. I don't know if anybody else had done this, but it was before we had heard of this kind of perfect crime, which is strapping a bomb to somebody, having them commit the crime, and that if they go to the police or, or a series of events, different types of things can happen, that the bomb will detonate and kill the person who is committing the crime, and ultimately you get away with it without it getting your hands dirty, so to speak. Yeah. So in the case of this book, um, the person who hatches this scheme is a reader. His name's Charles Kincaid. He goes by Reader. Uh, because in prison, he reads a lot. Um, so he is a an ex-con who had done several stretches. Um, this all takes place around New Orleans uh, for the most part, and um, he did a lot of time in prison in New Orleans and gained a reputation as a, a really smart person who read a lot, but um, that's kind of the big part of the book is that even though he's a criminal and pretty cold and heartless, um, the man's just really, really smart, and um, he's got kind of a, a chess player's approach to uh, how he does his crimes. He tries to figure out what people are going to do and anticipate like their move so that he can be ready for it. Right. And one of the reasons that maybe he's a little different from, you know, maybe his average cellmate is that um, he grew up in a very affluent and rich family. Um, and, and there's no secret because the, the book actually starts with like the newspaper article um, that, that sets this all up. And he, he killed his father when he was a, a teenager and was going to kill his grandfather for, 
you know, wrongs perpetrated on him and other members of his family. So, you know, he, he's, he's already smart. He comes from an affluent family, which means he was probably educated in the best schools, then enters the system as a criminal, eventually, you know, gets out and continues to commit crimes. But he's almost drawn as, um, you know, kind of like the almost the perfect like assassin like you know you could hire him to kill somebody and the person would be killed in a way that made it look like it was natural or accidental um as to draw suspicion away from the person who maybe is paying to have him killed so yeah he's he's a he's he's a great he's a great criminal on that level um trying to think there was it tickled my brain a little bit of something i read that was the same thing like kind of the the super sharp assassin guy i think it was the lawrence block books um, I can't remember which series it was, but it kind of reminded me a little bit of that character, except he was the, the hero in those books and not the villain. But a lot of really well thought out kind of, you know, whatever assassinations, I guess would be the right term. Hits. Hits. Right? That's what it is. Hits. It's a hit. Greatest, yeah. greatest hits. Greatest hits. <laughs> so as the synopsis says, he's, he's planning on pulling off the, the perfect crime, which, as we already alluded to, is basically going to have um, an element where a bomb is strapped to somebody and they are forced to, to do something to get him a lot of money. And the only thing that goes wrong in his plan, really, is that at one point he, he thinks he kills uh, a, a shop owner as he's, he's collecting. This is like Chapter 2 stuff. He's uh, g- obtaining supplies. And he does this really intelligently. He leaves Louisiana and he goes several states away and convinces this guy to open up a shop late at night and sell him the stuff. And, and basically he, he attempts to kill him. Um, the part that he screws up is that he isn't as careful in that as he is in the commission of the remainder of this crime. And the person who he um, uh, you know uh, attempts to murder or thinks he murdered his uh that man's brother is a retired police officer who does a little bit of sleuthing and gets on somebody's trail he doesn't know it's reader at that time but but you know gets on a trail to louisiana to go looking for the guy who who maybe or you know would have killed his brother yeah so that character's name is grady fogarty his brother i think his brother's name is jim right jim no will will brother more more great podcasting right here (laughs) rob and i are batting a thousand tonight um uh is the shop owner grady is a retired police officer who uh lost an eye and uh you know after a while just kind of slowly kind of pushed off the force in a hey you're not effective anymore kind of way which is a little bit sad um and since then with uh financial troubles between him and and uh, losing his wife and stuff like that, he's just kind of been living a sad existence where he goes to bars and just drinks and picks up random women. Which I was like, man, I should start doing that. It's like, what sad existence? <laughs> which part was sad about that? Yeah, I've been sitting here reading all the time. I could be out at a bar picking up random women. Yep, we just gotta get your eye patch. <sighs> yeah, just one eye patch away from um, that life. <laughs> mm-hmm. So uh, when his brother. Uh, gets attacked. Um, his he kind of feels a little bit guilty because he was out um, on kind of a bender with a lady and didn't come to meet his brother in the morning when he uh, he was supposed to, and so he discovered his brother, um, you know, at death's door in his shop and felt guilty because if he got there sooner, he felt like maybe he could have, you know, been in better shape. Um, so 
he takes it upon himself to start investigating the crime, which, like Livius said earlier, brings him down to Louisiana. So really we've got two main stories that are kind of working toward each other. Or one's kind of work trying to run away from the other one, or I don't know how you want to visualize that, but those are the kind of two main threads, and there's a lot of other little threads that weave in uh, among these these two main stories. Yeah, a little bit of um, flashback here and there on Reader's time in uh, in Angola as he's kind of hatching this plan, and, and then a whole cast of characters. Um, the, you know, thing is, while I was reading this book, and maybe for the first 40 percent of this book. Set up pretty early on what this is going to be, and you know you, you you've already you already see the ending, right? Like you you know exactly what's going to happen, and and it, it seemed like it was going to be really predictable and stuff. And you know what? It really wasn't. And that's really where this book gets going. I mean, a lot of it is is your kind of standard, almost like PI work, like a, a lot of going into bars and flashing a picture. Do you know this guy? And then getting a little bit of information and kind of interrogating somebody and. A lot of flashing the 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 old retired police badge and hoping no one notices, you know. So there there's a lot of you know kind of tropey stuff, and it was kind of trucking along to be very predictable, and it wasn't. And some of the stuff was really interesting, and quite honestly, a lot of it, I don't know, kept me guessing into you know not the last pages, but you know, well well towards the climax at least. Yeah, it kind of reminds me a little of. Uh... The movie Seven. Because, like, once they figure out the pattern of the bad guy, you pretty much think you know what's going to happen, and then the cops are just going to eventually try and catch him, and that's it. But a lot of weird other stuff happens, you know? So Right. Yep. I feel like that's a that's an apt kind of comparison. Uh, a lot of... Jack, by the way. Jack. Oh, I was close, because I said yeah. Jim. Yeah, that's almost the same thing. Jack and Jim. Um, as far as story goes, uh, it's tough to talk too much about this because I think the biggest part is, is watching reader, um, slowly unravel, not unravel, but un reveal kind of bits and pieces of his plan. So like everything, so everything that reader does as it's happening, it seems like, all right, he had this planned out a long time ago. Like there's no part of this that he was reacting to in the moment. Everything goes, you know, exactly according to uh, what he wanted to happen. So all of the materials he needed, he knew who was getting them. He knew when they were getting them. He knew who was going where. Like everything just kind of, you know, drop, 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 like one thing after the other. Exactly as he, as he, he never reacts to or is surprised by anything. And even when there are unexpected elements he quickly finds a way to get rid of the problems. And there's really only one time that that happens. And I'm being vague because I don't know if I want to spoil it. Because you have to be, yeah. And that's that's the whole thing. So I guess the thing is, I don't know. And, and this, this is where I kind of want to warn potential readers, you know, because I've read stuff from Les and, and I've really enjoyed it. And then I'm reading this and I'm like, oh, man, I don't know if that's because this was written 20 plus years ago and you know, but it seems really predictable. And, and I was really concerned. And had I have not been so, you know, when we review something, like we commit to finishing it regardless, right? Yeah. I, I'm afraid if I would have just picked this up without the warning, 
or maybe I picked this up and just didn't know that Les's writing is really solid and he's a great storyteller that I might have gotten 30% in and said, you know, I'm kind of bored. I already see where this is going and, and put it down. Does that make sense? I see what you're saying. Like, it seems so predictable that you didn't think there was a possibility for like, right, a twist. Yeah. Yeah, so, and yeah. and I forget from time to time that not everybody picks up a book, like, finishes it. Like, I didn't always mm-hmm. used to finish every single book I read because now I have to. And I think that you and I maybe are a little bit disengaged from how normal people read books, which is I read it for a little <laughs> bit, and if it doesn't do something for me, I pick up the next book on the shelf. See, and I guess what I'm trying to say is this one is well worth hanging in there for. And this is where you and I might differ because I don't really think that there was a part where I was like, Oh man, I, I, you know, this is predictable. I think that I, the the way the story is told and and the it just felt very real to me, like the the cop side of thing and the criminal side of things felt very authentic. And the setting of New Orleans and um, have you been to? Well, you've been to New Orleans a lot, so. How, actually, that's a good question. Since you've been to New Orleans a lot, how how was your reaction to his this depiction of it? All right. So anything that happened in the so I, I'm the I'm the bad tourist that they talk about in the book. You know, the the guy yeah. who shows up and just hangs <laughs> on the front. Like that's me, right? So slightly offended is how I feel. <laughs> not really. Um, I, I know a little bit about the geography of New Orleans and stuff, and um, yeah, it felt the stuff that at least happened in the areas I was familiar with. I could kind of visualize. Um, you know, there's the whole, there's the one part where the guy tells the story about the tourist who's killed in, in Louis Armstrong Park. Now, I wasn't there in 1995, but I got to tell you, last time I was in that park was probably, I don't know, 10 years ago. And yeah, it was kind of like that. It was kind of like a drug den, you know, it's like where you didn't want to be after like four in the afternoon even, you know, <laughs> yeah. so yeah. I, I get it, you know. But yeah, no, I thought that New Orleans, at least from what I I'm, I know of, it was was depicted pretty well. Like the the row houses, the shotgun houses. You see, have you ever seen those? Like, yeah, yeah. they like that. Yeah, I think he did a very great job of, of depicting what what those looked like. Now, I've never been inside one, but I did happen past one, and the door was open, and I could see all the way through to the back. You know, it was like a really weird kind of kind of thing. So, no, I think the depictions of New Orleans were great. Listen, I, I in I said I liked it. I liked that there was the one really intelligent criminal, right? And then the rest of them were kind of like your very standard run of the mill. He's got his little sidekick. Is it Eddie? Yeah. The guy he hires on who's who's kind of a doofus. <laughs> yeah. You know, good stuff. But like I said, I in my head I had, and I don't want to say what I had pictured because I, you know, I don't, but I had this like showdown pictured with the guy wearing the bomb and you know what I mean? Like, yeah. and it's really wasn't anywhere near you know what i thought would actually happen in the in this story so it, it was it was refreshing but yeah. like i said i don't know if i picked this up and didn't know who it was by and i was reading it just for for leisure i don't know that i would have stuck with it i i think that the book comes out to be better than the book promises to be if that makes sense wow i didn't feel that i felt pretty yeah. engaged the whole damn time cool so Everybody who's now feeling turned off from the book by Livius, who's telling you that it wasn't engaging in the beginning. <laughs> That's not at all what I was saying. It's, I'm actually trying. Oh, never mind. <laughs> I'm just giving you a hard time. So on the, the, the character list, on the, the good guy side of the character list, Grady, um, through his lots of just beating his feet. Now, again, like Livius said, this takes place in the 90s. So like when he needs to do research, 
he walks around and drives around town talking to people. And he goes to the library and looks through the microfiche and stuff like this. So this isn't like your like montage of internet searches and phone calls. He's actually out there beating the street trying to get answers. He runs into, uh, in a bar, one of the bar owners' name is Sally, which I believe was Salvatore, but he gets called Sally. Um, uh, one of the, And he's the bar owner, and they're kind of talking back and forth, and Sally kind of picks out Grady as being a cop, and then, you know, Grady explains he's an ex-cop and all that kind of stuff. And um, so they immediately kind of identify with each other, and Sally becomes kind of an ally because Sally's also an ex-cop, and so... Um, he wants to help Grady try and figure out what's going on. And it turns out that Sally's wife, uh, Veronica, is also a former cop. So um, on Grady's side, he's got these two former cops who are bar owners who can help him with the local police department to find information and, and stuff like that as well. And they're kind of fun characters because they're just retired cops who run a bar, but they're like still connected and everything. I don't know. They're cool. Yeah, I think it's funny because Rob said on the list of good guys, like yeah. that's the list. It's not really a list. It's three people. Well, I mean, there's like the the one like, well, he's got like the cop back home in Dayton who's yeah. helping him out with like his brother's case and stuff like that. But yeah, I guess you're, I guess you're right. The only other good guy besides just the ones we've listed is the brother who's, you know, in the hospital. <laughs> Yeah, so that's yeah, the list. We, we won't go into the entire list on the bad guy side because that's everybody else in the book, basically. Um, yeah. There's, uh, and I'll kind of try to give you a little bit of a rundown. It's, um, so there's Reader, there's Eddie, who is his kind of hired, um, you know, hand, kind of the, the dopey criminal. Um, there's, and I forget his name, but they're back to his time in prison. There's a mob boss that he's been very close to who's instrumental in helping fund this. There's the local like drug dealer whose money is going to be stolen. There's the guy who he's going to use to steal the money. Who's not so much a bad, like a, like a criminal yet. He, he, he may be trying to, to figure out a way out. Like he may also have his eye on a little something that's happening. Um, and then there are other. You know, there's there's the guy who helps, you know, set up aspects of this heist, you know, like a getaway vehicle. And, you know, so you've got all these different people. And through the course of the book, Grady comes into contact with a lot of them as he's trying to catch up to Reader as he's, as he's starting to see what, you know, what this plan is and, you know, how it's going to be put in action. He's with help from Sally and Veronica kind of put on to something. So like I said, a lot of the, the a lot of the detective work is, is your pretty standard fare, I think. I mean it's it's a lot of the, you know, just like like Rob said, driving. A lot of driving, man. This guy drove a lot in this book. But that's the interesting part about this book. And maybe this is a good time to kind of address the period piece. I say this very hesitantly because I've written I've read period piece crime stories and stuff that I thought were okay and I thought were really good. But a lot of times, and I know we've talked about this on the podcast before, I almost feel like it's written in this time period because if you didn't, there are easy outs, right? Like one cell phone can change the whole scope of the story. But now it takes place in the 70s, so no issue. It's really dependent on someone being able to get to somebody and warn them about something. you know. So a lot of those stories, if you put them in you know, 2015 there wouldn't be much of a story because, you know, the one well-placed phone call or a GPS unit or something could have, you know, broken down the whole story. 
the nice thing about this is that you know it was written in the time and it doesn't feel like a forced period piece. Like it's also subtle because it's not a period piece. It was actually written in that time, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. And um, I think with uh, the some of the quotes that I have, we're going to feel some of that authenticity. But one of the ones that really jumped out at me was when he went to a car rental place. They were trying to get him to choose a Trans Am or a Dodge Dart. Yeah, exactly. And and the one that the and for me, I think the part was <laughs> where Grady's speculating, and he says, "Yeah, maybe the guy has a cell phone." <laughs> You know what I mean? That's yep, like it's a really, possibility. Right. But if that was somebody writing it today and trying to make a period piece from then, they probably would abandon the whole cell phone or made a big deal how, you know, only few people had cell. You know, there would have been like this whole explaining paragraph. Right. Yep. To, to set up the fact that maybe this is the one guy or one of the few guys who could afford a cell phone. But for yeah. this, it was like maybe he's got one of those cell phones. <laughs> like that's, and it was just a very authentic came off that way because it actually was like authentic yeah it was cool and it's kind of cool to see like this um unearthed book um it's it's really kind of like a like a time capsule book well that was my thought guys you want a successful period piece write something now and just don't publish it for like 25 years (laughs) that's a good idea all those people that can't get their book published are like all right i can just pretend like i'm holding on to it until someone decides to buy it yeah, 25 years from now, Rob and I will be like, huh, it's funny they're talking about iPhones and <laughs> Windows 10. Windows 10. <laughs> Nobody talks about Windows 10, let's be honest. Do you want any more story stuff you want to talk about? Or I've got some quotes I could throw down. Um, you know, I've only got a handful of quotes. I read most of this book on my phone. Yeah. Which hmm. is weird for me. Um, I misplaced my Kindle for a few days. Um, which <laughs> Did you just leave it in your unlocked show- car? Yeah. No, 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 I have it. It's in my hand right now. Good. But no, I, I just this goes to show I also can misplace digital books, not just arcs not that just are sent to us. Yeah. Special SG Brown books. Correct. Come on, man. Did we ever talk on the podcast about how, how I found that? Yep. How we I how I found it. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Good. We <laughs> like how you Rob and I were still looking for it two years <laughs> later or whatever. Yeah, you were talking about how the burglars put it back. Or no, that didn't put it yeah, put it back, right? Yes, of course. Yeah. That's good stuff. <laughs> um, so, yeah, why don't you go ahead with a quote? And like, so I've only got a handful, like three or four. So, you know, we'll, I'll, 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 I'll kick in every now and then with one. Cool. This one, I just like the, the terminology, and it felt very, like, um, crimey jargon. I like it a lot. So, he needed one other item, which he couldn't buy in any store. A rig. A hypodermic. He got that off a hype. He spotted mushfooting it down Pirate's Alley. Do you know what what a hype is? I, I think it's a drug addict. I'm guessing so. Yeah. Have you ever mush-footed? No, but you know what? That's the thing. Maybe in 1994 I did, and I just don't remember. Yeah. A long time ago. That's true. Another quick one. It was that kind of quiet neighborhood where you could pick out a scream. And, like, that's kind of cool with the way that he was... He did a good job of describing, like... If there was a good, like a nice neighborhood or a rundown neighborhood, and um, I think that just added a little bit to, like the the kind of different class um, classes of neighborhood that you could find. He was highlighting that really well with that one line. I agree wholeheartedly. 
I'm going to throw out a little longer one before you get to it because I'm sure you have this. So this is a reader kind of um, reflecting on the things that happened to him in his childhood. One thing Reader learned from his daddy, how to fight. His father gave him quite a few lessons on the right places to punch to inflict the most pain on the human body. What did he learn from his mom? Not much, unless it was valuable to know you shouldn't put your faith in a god who never showed up when you needed him. Somehow I don't have that quote, but that was a really, really good quote. Mm -hmm. I have quotes like this. Get the dog drunk and watch him fall down, run into things. A drunken dog was a sight. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and now I don't, don't know. I should maybe go. I'm going to go with another one because maybe, maybe you don't have this one either. Um, Reader has a theory, and this this goes on for a little bit in the book uh, about why people, um, why criminals commit crimes, and it's not for um, it's not for the necessarily for the reasons you think, so financial gain or whatever. The more Reader had explored his theory, the more he knew he was right. Almost everything a personal did, criminal or not, was about power. Even the god squatters, the Jesus freaks, were after the same thing. Cloaking themselves in the omnipotence of God gave them that feeling of power, which was why there was so much backsliding in the religious community, Reader figured. The veil would come down, and the convert would realize Jesus was just as much bullshit as anything else. It's good stuff. Again, didn't have that one. We're really working... As a good team here tonight. Yep. Um, this one, I'm not. I'm gonna say I'm gonna use this one, even though it sounds like it's spoiling stuff. But I'm gonna go ahead and tell you it's not spoiling anything because this is something that's obvious. Pretty early on in the book, less than less than halfway through. How do you tell your lover that you're gonna steal four million dollars from a drug cartel, plus the million already taken from the bank where you both work, that when you leave the country, neither of you will be coming back? How do you tell her she'll have a new identity? Easy. You wait until you're in the islands and she sees the money all spread out on the bed. That's when you tell her. I have to agree with CJ there. I think his name was CJ, right? Yeah, CJ. But like, like he, he really had some shit figured out. It didn't quite go, <laughs> go right, right for him, but... I was with that guy. I was like, "Yeah, yeah, this is he's he's this is how I would approach that's, that." That's pretty much would be my approach too. Yep. And the only other thing I had, and and I'm I'm I have to be I'm certain you had to have this was just the mention of um, that he, someone picked a Donnie Brook with her. Yeah, yeah, the, I saw the that. word Donnie Brook yep. popped up, um, which of course is uh, is yeah. I mean, you know, we we even. Frank Bill. You know, co opted that for, for our own Donnie Booked uh, at yeah. one point. And yeah, that was definitely brought to us, uh, first to us by, by Frank Bill, even though this predates that book by 20 ish years. Good point. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a couple more. I don't care if you care. I'm going to do them. This one I just like. I think Les does a good job of, of throwing some colorful uh, descriptions out there that just you usually wouldn't think of. They're very unique. Grady took the only remaining seat, a stool with one leg shorter than the other three. Barroom polio. It was at the end, nearest the door. Even the furniture had infirmities. His kind of bar. That was really good. That, that bar was great, because everybody in there had some kind of handicap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was definitely awesome. like, yeah, the cripple bar. Yep. Um, oh my god, do you know how many handicap spots they must have had out front? <laughs> and all of them taken. Yeah, like yeah. the one by the door is not handicapped. 
I see what you did. Um, this one just this is probably the one that sealed it for me that this was actually written in this time period. Back in his motel room, he spread out the materials Sprague had telexed. I'm guessing that's some sort of fax situation. I believe so. We should let's find out what a telex is. Why don't you look that up for me? I'm gonna do just that. <laughs> telex. Telex intercom systems, radio dispatch. All right, telex. The Telex network is a switch network of teleprinters similar to a telephone network for the purposes of sending text-based messages. <laughs> Holy shit, dude. It's a typewriter that types shit out on the other end, I think is what dude, it is. Dude, like in Fringe? Like in Fringe. Only, only the one in Fringe actually looked cooler than these pictures that I'm seeing. <laughs> and not, not going to alternate universes? Well, we don't know that they don't. Maybe that's like the upgraded model. Yeah. Telex. Telex, yep. Yeah, that one really sealed it for me. I was like, all right, this is authentic as shit because no one would actually, like, sprinkle that in, you know? No, because no one remembered it. That's, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah so. That's good stuff. They would have just said faxed. Mm-hmm. People still fax. Do you know how many people still fax? You know. I, I, know, I know you know. I know exactly how many people still fax. <laughs> and let me tell you, it's a lot. That's, yeah. I actually, um, oh, I had to fax something. Um uh, there was like a, a thing I was doing, a financial thing, and I had to fax something uh, or scan an email something. And I was angry at either option because I don't even like to scan things. So I, I beat it by um, doing all the, the filling out of a form electronically instead of printing it out and writing on it and scanning it. Even did my signature electronically. The amazing thing to me is how many people that are, you know, in their 40s and 50s claim to have no idea how to use a fax machine. <laughs> You're a liar, sir. Right, you exactly. are a liar. <laughs> like that's, I get it. Every now and then you've got like <laughs> like a kid. They're like 19 and they're like, um, um, faxing? <laughs> like with a question mark after it, yeah. which, is, which is the appropriate response. Now, if somebody in their 60s is like, Oh, I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to, you know, um, use the iPad to send, like, I get that, you know, that that's the, the appropriate right. reaction to get from a kid with faxing. Once someone's like in their fifties, they're like, I don't know how to use a fax machine. No, you're just lying is what it is. Yeah. Bullshit. Bullshit. <laughs> um, so that's, that's all my quotes, but I do have something that I thought bore discussion. Um, and that's the dog. You want to talk a little bit about the dog? Sure. Only one dog was hurt in the making of this book. Is Only that one, yeah. the, there, there was no there was no <laughs> disclaimer or whatever. One German Shepherd did not fare very well in this story, um, and uh, so <laughs> the only reason I bring it up is um, and you'll see in a minute. But basically, reader being very you know thorough uh, and and planning out in advance, decided to test out his idea of a remote control bomb, like it's mentioned in the uh, synopsis. And his test subject is a German Shepherd. And so, at one point in the book, there is a bomb strapped to a dog that is set off by remote control. Did this remind you of anything in particular, Rob, that you want to talk about? Oh my God, does it. Last Projector, David James Keaton. Yes, yes. It, you know what? It didn't, I didn't think about it until you said it, but yes, absolutely. Um, in the David James Keaton book, there's definitely a dog... Wired up with explosives by, oh, what was her name? I'm not going to remember, but anyway. Um, and it was like the thing that was going to 
kind of ruin the world. Kind of like it was like a it was anyway. Um, David James Keaton has a dog with a bomb strapped to it by someone who's plotting this big thing, and very much mirrors the dog with the bomb as a test subject in this book. And then going a step further, uh, Last Projector and David James Keaton in general, massive amounts of movie references, right? Um, yeah, of course. <laughs> this goes without saying. Now, in Bomb, Les Edgerton uh, goes goes into the idea of the bomb strapped to the dog and everything, and um, this is a quote from that. I have one more quote. This is a surprise quote. He recalled an old movie with James Garner where they used these dogs to hold up a bank. Doberman's trained to rob banks. Maybe this Kincaid had figured out a new twist where he hooked them up with pipe bombs, but then why would he blow up the dog as an object lesson to the other dogs? So, movie reference, dogs with bombs. 20 years later, David James Keaton, before this book is published, writes a book full of movie references and a dog with a bomb strapped to it. It's a crazy world is all I'm saying. It's a glitch in the matrix, my friend. Another movie reference. Good job. Good yeah. job. I, I actually remember seeing that movie with the, the, the Dobermans robbing the bank when I was like a little kid. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How did they talk? I, <laughs> then never mind. I think that um, that there is probably a great place to, to start our wrap ups. Yeah. I'll go ahead and take it off. I'll go ahead and take it. I'm not going to take it off. <laughs> I'm going to keep this PG-13 tonight. All right, so was very excited to, to learn. We had another Les Edgerton book uh, coming up to review. I really dug his other book that we reviewed, The Rapist. And, um, like, uh, oh, and uh, when he did his live reading in Indianapolis, uh, that was a really good story as well. Just Les is a great guy, and I've always liked his writing, and I thought it was very clever. And it's one of those things where I know that, um, especially with The Rapist, the book itself was really good. But then after we reviewed it, Les revealed all of this other, like, deeper hidden meaning. So it's obvious that, like, he puts a lot of thought into the books he writes. And um, th that came through really well here because he basically had to, on his own as a writer, create the perfect crime and then write about it as it played out. I thought it was a pretty compelling read all the way through. I was never bored. I was always interested in knowing what came next. Don't know the executive page count of this, but it did take me a while to get through. So I think it is kind of a bigger book. Read it on an ebook, so no uh, page numbers. And I think Amazon listed at, well, like 260 pages, but it's definitely way more than that. Um, so yeah, really good book. The characters are well thought out. He represents the crime side of the story very well. He represents the detective side of the story really well, and um, as is alluded to in the synopsis, you really don't know what's coming. But it's got a really good payoff. It's one of those books that when you finish it, it's a very satisfying end. So all in all, I love the book, and I'm going to go four and a half stars. I'd like to start by clearing up what might be a misconception. <laughs> so <laughs> I did really think this book was going to be very predictable. And I was very, very, very pleasantly surprised um, that it wasn't. Being said, it's not that the writing was bad and the characters were all right. I just felt like like I'd read this story. You know, I mean, there's just like it seemed like it was going to have a very linear progression. 
to, to an end that I, I thought was going to be very predictable. Rob and I talked, and this isn't on the podcast, but we talked very recently about, um, I'm starting to fall out of love with crime a little bit. And, and not that anything we've read was particularly bad or, or whatever, but I feel that a lot of it is, is becoming very predictable. Um, that being said, we're probably not going to stop reviewing crime books. Um, and, and Les has nudged me in the direction of um, it, uh, maybe a renewed interest because I really, really like this book a lot. Um, you had a villain that I think was done so well that Les could have gone a different direction with this guy where this is the guy you're actually rooting for. He's the, the um, Robert De Niro in Heat you know, where really you shouldn't be rooting for him because he's very clearly the bad guy. But man, he's smart and he's likable and he's, you know, this guy's had some bad things happen to him. So a little bit of it becomes justified, but he does cross the line a few too many times into doing the wrong thing, you know, but you've got a guy who's super intelligent. You've got a retired cop who's, you know, kind of trying to do the right thing and, and he he takes, uh you know, adequate steps to do that and, and he does it the, the old-fashioned hard work kind of way. So you've got hardworking cop versus brilliant criminal, which which winds up being really good. All the characters are great. I mean, even down to the fact that CJ, um, who we mentioned, who's who's got the the woman that you know he's gonna steal this money and and you know they're gonna be together forever, but it's gonna be like in the Bahamas or wherever, somewhere in South America. There's Belize or something. Is his plan? Like even the teller girlfriend was was well done and and thoroughly enjoyable throughout. I liked all these characters. It, it was pretty significant cast when you really count them all up and it, it there were times where i was a little unclear about what somebody's particular part was because i couldn't remember the name you know that kind of thing but all of it done very very well and like rob said you know you had to write the perfect crime and i think pretty much nailed it in this one so um i really enjoyed it throughout and and i you know spoiler alert if anybody actually looks on amazon it's the first time i've ever done this that when i was done with the book i actually clicked and gave it my rating so if uh if you've happened to be on this page before that, you'll see the five star rating right on Amazon. So five stars less. I really like this a lot. Oh, so you you spoiled your review <laughs> on Amazon? You reviewed it there first. Yeah, I didn't review it there, but you know, at the end, if if it actually came from Amazon, you have the option to to rate it. Like it's just like, yeah. what did you think of this book? And right. I just went ahead. And I clicked on the five stars, and afterwards, I went, oh shit, like I just, damn it. So no, I didn't write a review, but I did. I did throw my rating up there on uh, on Amazon already, and like I said it's the first time that's happened. Listen, there are literally dozens, scores of books that we've reviewed that haven't gone and done Amazon review, which I know is terrible. I know authors need the Amazon reviews, and if someone has reached out personally, I usually will go and do it. But I get it, guys. Amazon review, but fuck, man, we spend like forty minutes talking about your book on the show, so like that's yeah. to me that's better than an Amazon review. So. Yeah. That's right. I mean, I mean, hundreds of listeners probably saw that you, uh, you know, you gave it five stars before we read, we did it on the podcast, right? No, no, I just, doubt it. Hundreds? Just, just say yes. Oh yeah, of course, yeah, yeah tons absolutely. of them, yeah, all sure, of them, yeah. yep, all of them. Everybody goes to that page. We'll see one extra five star review. <laughs> cool. What else we got? Um, We've got some stuff. So, Ryan, this, this makes me a little sad. Ryan has sent in, I, mean, I guess I'll let him explain it, but we will, we will have seen the end of Ryan for, for some time. I know we mentioned it before, but... It is nigh. 
yeah, like like now it's really happening, and it ma- it makes me a little sad inside. Maybe he could smuggle out recordings from China or whatever it is you do. <laughs> hey, this is Ryan McRae, the Booked Podcast's marketing intern. This is my last broadcast for a little bit. I'm heading off to China for three months to work for the company that I work for. So I will hit you back in September. And I just want to thank you guys for signing up for the newsletter where you can get the Booked Podcast Anthology. Just head to thebookedpodcast.com and sign up for that newsletter. I would love to see more of you on there. I'll try to shoot you a newsletter from the other side of the world, but I don't know how the internet works there. But that's about it. So back to Rob and Livius. Later, nerds. All right, so uh, for just before this audio clip, Livius was uh, implying that Ryan should do some smuggling out of China. I'm just going to go ahead and say we probably shouldn't encourage anything. I just don't want him to end up in one of, like some sort of prison, you know, for the rest of his life or whatever, for doing something weird. It, does it have any repercussions on us? Well, I mean, no, we probably feel guilty. Well, yeah, but I, like we can't be like extradited to China or anything, can we? <laughs> no, no, we wouldn't okay, be. No, all no. right, then yeah, whatever. That's cool, Ryan. But, uh, I'll give you a list of things I need. <laughs> oh, God. All right, so uh, Ryan, just don't listen to Livius. Enjoy your time in China. Don't do anything that might get you. Do you know in how much vaping forever? stuff comes out of China? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I, I've got Wait. stuff coming on a slow boat already, like stuff I ordered. <laughs> Are you actually going to have him smuggle something for you? I don't know. Maybe we'll see. All right. You might have to we'll do see something. how hard it is to get messages to yeah. him or something like <laughs> I do want to say though we are recording this on Monday May 2nd and it's actually Ryan's birthday tomorrow May 3rd so big old happy birthday to Ryan the marketing intern who will be leaving us shortly for uh, Chinese adventure <laughs> that sounds yeah. creepy happy birthday brother <laughs> keep up now I have on here that he's actually is he really ninety seven? He looks good for ninety seven. I would have thought uh, like that's I guess his age. I, I oh, because I, I would have thought like forty nine, maybe. I don't know. No. Like I think he's the same age as you. Or yeah. in the, in the oh, yeah, no, part. I'm not forty nine, but that's what I would have guessed him at. So ninety seven, he looks great for ninety seven. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Ryan's a great guy. Now you know Ryan Plus be all has the CrossFit been, workouts. Yeah, it's those CrossFit. I don't know how he does that, man. Throwing through. What did I say? bunch pressing old ladies or something like that anyway yeah i think like they, they like flip over like tractor tires and stuff like yeah. if you want to open a crossfit place you need a lot of rope in a tractor tire and we could yeah. open our own crossfit gym i mean really if we go to like the farm and fleet and just like hit up like the rope and and, and chains aisle i'm sure there's a rope and chains aisle right there's got to be a rope and chains <laughs> farm and fleet <laughs> that's so regional nobody's gonna understand what i'm talking about yeah, no, we're going to need, I, I picture there's a lot of, like, gallons filled with sand, like, gallon, like, milk yeah. containers filled with sand. And and I know there's always, like, a chalkboard. Right, because they have to write down, like, how many gallons of sand you have to drink or whatever before. Yeah, you're... exactly. Yeah, yeah. you put a little bit of water in the gallon and you have <laughs> sand and you shake it up. But that's the whole thing. You know what I really think is CrossFit was just brilliant. Because what it was was there was a guy at one point, and he's like, man, I really want to open a gym, but holy shit, do you realize how much all those machines cost? Yeah. And then he like looked around his garage and he was like, no, I've got a better idea. I've yep. got this, this tractor yeah. tire that like the recycling guy won't take. I've got some rope and some sand and CrossFit was born. <laughs> He's like, you know what? And I always have to jump up onto the top of this shed to get into the house when I lock myself out. You've seen those like videos of people jumping like seven feet in the air, right? Yeah. 
Yep. Yeah, that was yep. the other thing. He's like, I'm always jumping up there. We can just make people jump. Yeah, I went to a gym where they had machines where, like, you know, monitored your heart rate and, you know, no, none of that. None of that uh, happened to CrossFit. Yeah. CrossFit, you're just, I mean, it's almost like like the Karate Kid where he's making him, like, fucking wax a car <laughs> and, like, paint a fence and stuff like that. Only less school, let's be honest. <laughs> Only they're not building stuff. They're just moving yep. it around. Like, you need to get these tires <laughs> at the other side of the gym for today and then... That's your workout. Oh, and the gym is just like outside. It's like the like the <laughs> little like ranch fence, you know, the the two posts, you know, like white posts going across. You don't even need a building. Why are we being so tough on CrossFit? Is this because of Ryan? Is this just like our birthday gift to Ryan? I don't know what happened here. But it's like guys trying to better himself. And here we are making fun of him and all those people who will now now every time I see someone walking down the street carrying like I don't know a gallon of sand or something, I'm gonna be like, "Oh shit!" My CrossFit workout gym is meet me at the junkyard, and you have to do as much as you can before they kick us out. The opinions expressed here are not the opinions of Rob or Livius or Booked or anybody affiliated with Booked, so you can't hold it against us. Uh, exactly. Happy birthday, Ryan. We're just going to get a bunch of CrossFit people jumping over us to, to show us how. <laughs> All right, we're moving on. We're moving on. Ryan, enjoy China, brother. Listen, I need a new 50-inch TV. It's going to get me like 38 bucks when you're there. <laughs> Look for bootlegs of the booked anthology while you're there, too. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> um, Ryan, one of the things he does is, in, in addition to encouraging people to uh, sign up for our newsletter, he actually sends out our newsletter. And since we're not sure if he's going to be able to have access to do that while he's in China, um, he's actually given us access to our own newsletter. So you might get a non-Ryan newsletter before expect, September. Expect even less newsletters than you've been getting. Yeah. what Rob's trying to say. Yeah. If um, if it ever if it's like three months go by and you don't get a newsletter, I'm just going to go back to this episode and erase the part where I said we have access to the newsletter. Then there won't mm-hmm. be any proof. That's right. Yeah. But speaking of newsletter, um, we've had a, an ongoing for got over a month now, right? Contest for yeah. newsletter signups, and we have a winner. Yeah. Um, we did this. We did this kind of a weird <laughs> way. There probably was a way we could have done this on the podcast, but we didn't do that. Basically, we took the number of people that were eligible. It was on a spreadsheet, and Rob asked Siri to pick a number between one and whatever, and that number is the winner. Of course, we don't have any names. All we have is an email address. So this is all brilliant. This this is like drum roll, right? Like this is yeah. We really prepared for this. So in the interest of not giving out this person's email, the gift card winner Rob is going to announce here momentarily. We're going to give out the first part of their email, and then we're going to try to figure out maybe what this means. All right. So T X Noir, T X N O I R, Tix Noir at something yeah tix noir tix See, you thought all of a sudden it's tx noir we don't know that that's that that's where you break texan yeah no so you could think it might be yeah it could be texas noir right it could yeah. be like i don't know like tim xavier <laughs> and his last name's noir, noir. <laughs> i mean we keep coming back to we keep coming back to noir yeah we do good. Sorry, let's, let's try this different so it could be Tim Xavier Nathan Yor. I don't we don't know what it is, but yeah, when 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 I, you when you told me that's what it was, right? <laughs> My first thought is 
Oh, this is some guy who's got like a 10 gallon hat and probably like a beard. <laughs> like a straw. Wait, I'm thinking like a straw hat. Are you thinking like a like a nice like a 10 gallon hat like like a cowboy would have? Yeah, I, I mean, uh, yeah, because l- let's face it. If it's Texas Noir, the guy probably has both hats. <laughs> yeah, he's not a one hat kind of guy is what no, you're saying. No, he's got like the, yeah. the straw hat, like you said, that's like for around the ranch. Yeah. And then he's got like the the nice like I'm going to like a, a wedding hat, which is much nicer. Now like I'm a, not, a Stetson is that what it's called? I was a about Stetson? to say, is that what a Stetson is? That's what uh, think, that's what he wore in Justified. That's a Stetson. Yeah, I also know that it's a terrible cologne that you can still pick up at like Walgreens for like four ninety nine too. <laughs> Next to the Old Spice and the Drekar Noir, right? Well, hold on. Let's not put hold on. Whoa, whoa, slow down there, buddy. Let's not put Old Spice and and Drakkar in the same category. Which one is insulting to the other? <laughs> it's Old Spice. Again, I think Old Spice is like $6 a bottle. Okay. And I think Drakkar still probably carries a pretty hefty price tag. Seriously? How can it? That cannot be the case. Oh, let's see. I was like oh. going to like middle school dances wearing Drakkar. <laughs> middle school dances. All right. So here we go. On Amazon, <laughs> Drakkar Noir by Guy LaRoche for Men is a... Uh, 3.4 fluid ounces for 24 bucks. Yeah, that does sound kind of cheap, doesn't it? <laughs> it's not, yeah. I mean, so is it fluid ounces? What else, what else? How would you get it? Like a brick? Um, yeah. Like a powder. <laughs> oh, this is good. Hold on a second. So you get your car noir, which uh, this is the eau de toilette spray, 6.7 ounces. That's a big bottle. That is a big bottle. And it's frequently bought together. <laughs> oh, no. With the 3.4 fluid ounce bottle. So, oh, hold on a second. This is bullshit. There is no way somebody is buying the big ass (laughs) 6.7 ounce spray and then adding on the 3.4 ounce spray. They are because it's the refiller. (laughs) I don't think you can refill those. I don't think it's like like buying the Windex sprayer and then the gallon of Windex. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, no, I don't think. I don't. I don't know. I, I'm calling bullshit on frequently bought together because that's and saying frequently makes it sound like every <laughs> fucking day somebody's buying this ten something ounces of fucking Trafar <laughs> Noir in two separate bottles. Uh, hey, you know what? If this guy's email address had been DK Noir, <sighs> wow, then it might be Guy LaRoche. Could be Guy LaRoche. I mean, he so probably close. Would be trying to get a twenty five dollar Amazon gift card. He wants to get more Dracar Noir. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Listen, the other weird thing about this is <clears throat> very specifically says this item is not for sale in Catalina Island. <laughs> and they're so serious about it that it's listed twice. There's a, so it says about the product. Packaging for this product may vary from that shown in the image. Okay, we get it. And that says this item is not for sale in Catalina Island. And right below it says this item is not for sale in Catalina Island. So I think they're pretty serious. <laughs> Catalina I Island's think- got a grudge? I don't know, but here's what I... Listeners, if any of you happens to live in Catalina Island, where, where the fuck is Catalina Island? That's off the... It's by L.A., right? It's off the coast of L.A.? Or in the L.A. area? I have no idea, but if any listeners are there, I, I think I want to try to send you a bottle and see what happens. All right, yes, absolutely. From Catalina Island, please contact us so we can do a, a cologne experiment. But I want to say that while we've been talking, when I searched for Dracar Noir, Dracar Noir there's a sponsored result on the side of my page for P H E R X pheromone cologne. Fur X, Fair X. Mm-hmm. Go Fair X. Yep. 
I think this bears some looking into. It's got 836 customer reviews, and it looks like it's a 3.4 out of 5 stars. So there might be something to... what. I mean, I'm guessing pheromone spray. That makes the ladies want to, you know, do dirty things with you, right? <laughs> I guess, but this is this is great stuff here. So this is also <clears throat> frequently bought together with more of the same thing in a different <laughs> size. <laughs> oh, no. I, oh, I don't know if people who, who buy, like, cologne and stuff just think that they need multiple different size <laughs> bottles of the same. It's not even, like, one of them's, like, the pocket size. Like, I get it, right? Like, I've got my big bottle at the <laughs> bar. I've got the, the 22 fluid ounce bottle. I need someone to, like, help hold it while I'm spraying it on myself. <laughs> but then I've got the little one I keep in the car, like, in my pocket. And we're talking about fairly similar size stuff. But <clears throat> for this one, the question and answer section. Because you know you can ask, and yeah. then um, people who sell it and or I think people who have bought it can answer these questions. Um, the first one says, does it really work? <laughs> and the first answer is yes. And then there's a couple of answers that just say no. that No description. Um, oh, but the best answer here is, okay, so. Oh, I love this. There's a yes, a no, but no, a no, a no, a yes. And then the one by the Armando Love says yes and no it will put women in the mood but is not a substitute for game <laughs> really what is a substitute for game i don't know but i somehow feel like we should take just that last part and somehow incorporate <laughs> it into our reviews like where we occasionally say something but then say but just remember this is not a substitute for game <laughs> oh i love it oh this book bomb is not a substitute for game that's right, yeah. Like, listen, Les has got great writing scenes, great characters, but listen, this is not a substitute for game. Oh, let's see. Oh, here's, I be, I'm using it for one month, but no results from girls. How and when should I use it? One of the answers says, you may be getting results and not even know it. This product <laughs> does not make women walk up to you and rip off your clothes, but it definitely... Defiantly? Sure spelled wrong, yeah. It looks like it almost says defiantly. Yeah. Does not make men more attractive. Remember, does does woman... make men more attractive. Oh, hold on. But it does. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Look at that. Remember, just because a woman find you attractive <laughs> does not mean she's going to tell you that. You have to also do your part and playfully flirt with her. It's a particular, if it's a particular girl you're after. I've been using it for about two months now and have seen good results. The oil works better in my opinion, though. You can use it by itself or with your favorite cologne. And I'm guessing that cologne is? Dracar Noir. <laughs> Yeah, listen, but this is the best because he, here's the thing. This product works. You may just not know it's working. <laughs> How about this next one? Someone told me I should use it on my neck and arms. Is that correct? Yeah, you should definitely put it on your neck. Pressure points. We recommend using it on the pressure points, wrist, neck, and behind the ears. Are those pressure points? I, I, I don't know. I have someone push on them and find out. I don't know. Oh, this guy says Pheromone XS gave me far better results. Oh, well, yeah. It's a competing... It's got an extra letter. Yeah, absolutely. This is really um, interesting. And to cart. Yeah, no kidding. Here's, here's one review. Oh, no. I Happy accidentally really added it to my cart. <laughs> happy husband here. Bud Med is a happy husband. My wife appears to act positively this product she is totally unaware that i purchased it i can't say why it works it just does one bottle just will not be enough mark me as a satisfied customer <laughs> oh no this guy wow all right well i don't know how we got here 
don't know. But we're hey, here. Tim Xavier Noir. Um, check your email in a few days. I, I think I think Drakkar Noir. Do, yes, Drakkar Texas Noir. <laughs> where um, I think I can just send you the code. So we're gonna try that. And if I have to, I'm happy to send out the the actual card, um, which I can do either way. Whatever I guess to hit us up, email us or something. Nah, I don't know. We'll figure it out. By the end of the week, buddy. I've Wait, got it. I thought we so, were emailing him because we have the email address. Oh yeah, we'll email you. Yeah. And if for some reason that doesn't work. Like, uh, you know, so we'll email you the code. Yeah. Let us know if you're interested in any pheromone. Yeah. Uh, listen, pheromone. you can use that. So yeah. it, it is a Kindle card, but I'm pretty sure it works on any Amazon purchases. Yeah. I we recommend prefer you use it to buy books, okay. Kindle books specifically, because that's how we roll. But you do what you want. Yeah. Thanks for joining up to our newsletter. Everybody should do that. You should send out a newsletter thing announcing who won. Oh, that's a good idea. just piss off the other newsletter people. I don't know if that's the right way to go. <laughs> yeah, Ryan's probably better at making newsletters. Yeah, well, it's going to be three months before that happens again. Right. It's assuming he makes it out of China with my TV. Strap in for some shitty newsletters. Yep. <laughs> All right. Oh, we, we'd like to think that we know what's going to be next, but... We're waiting on somebody to come through on something they said they would do for us the next. I don't even know if I should be saying that, but hey. <laughs> that could be so many people. It could be so many people. So probable book review next week, possible interlude. Um, either way, there will be more Robin Livius in your ear holes very, very shortly. That's right. So come back then. Until next time, I'm Rob Olson, and I'm Livius Snedden. Keep reading. <laughs>